There are a few industries that absolutely could use a disruption. Pet food is one of them. Today you'll hear from Ryan Bethencourt, the co-founder and CEO of Wild Earth. They create clean, healthy and sustainable pet food made without animal ingredients. Wild Earth was founded in 2017 and has a 20 to 30% revenue growth month by month, making it one of the fastest growing pet food companies on the planet for our planet. This episode is for you if you would like to learn about the problems and opportunities in the pet food space, which is actually quite fascinating. Learn how cultured meat could rattle the industry and hear a fun story of how Ryan was forced to eat the equivalent of six days of dog food. In the food industry, animal agriculture has the biggest carbon footprint and a quarter of that is due to pet food. Changing this through plant and cell-based meats can have a great impact. As an angel and VC investor, Ryan has invested in over 100 consumer food and biotech companies. He's also the co-founder of NDBio, the leading global biotech accelerator with companies like Geltor, Clara Foods and Memphis Meats. Ryan is a sunshine and such a good-natured, fun person. It was so interesting to talk to him and I hope you'll enjoy the interview as much as I did. You're listening to season one of Red to Green on cellular agriculture, animal products without animals, like cheese without cows and poultry without chicken. This is episode 7 on pet food without meat. Check out our earlier ones to get an introduction. Support the podcast by subscribing and sharing it on LinkedIn and Facebook. Thanks, and let's jump right in. Welcome to the Red to Green podcast on food innovations that are better for the planet and better for you. And I'm your host, Marina Schmidt. Thanks, Ryan, for being on Red to Green. Thank you for the invite and looking forward to hopefully, hopefully we'll do some more. It sounds like, sounds like you're at the beginning of hopefully building your media empire. So I have a feeling there might be a lot more <laughs> that we can do together. Right? Beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> like we've seen, we've seen some podcasts become absolutely enormous. I, th- I think part of this is where the, where the future of media is going. Yeah, so. totally. Yeah. Ryan, tell the listeners a fun fact about you, something quirky or personal. So, let me see a fun fact, which I think would be kind of quirky or personal. I helped start what's now called the biohacker movement. Mm-hmm. And, and that's kind of a weird one because at the time it was just myself and, and a few friends in California and some in New York who were just buying used lab equipment after the Great Recession. Hey, we can do some cool science at home, right? In our, mm-hmm. in our kitchen tables, in the living room, in the people who had garages in their garages. And we didn't think much of it at the time. And later on, it became this big biohacker movement. The only thing is that often, because I care about longevity and a lot of that type of stuff, it gets like confused. And so sometimes people think I'm a body hacker when really I'm a low-cost science guy. I was just going to ask you, are, are you seriously drinking that coffee with butter? Oh, exactly. no, yeah. Ryan, please. All of that is pseudoscience. <laughs> All of that is pseudoscience. That, you know, that the buttered coffee. Look, some people like buttered coffee. That's fine. That's totally for them. But that's not some longevity hack, right? It's, yeah, it's totally. just like instead of cream, you like butter in your coffee. Yeah. So. I actually used to do that for a while because I tried the ketogenic diet. I, I, I tried all kinds of diets because I wanted to look at it very open-mindedly. 
I'm gonna try it all out myself. And you won't believe what kind of looks I got in the office with my butter coffee. <laughs> they were like, we knew Marina is crazy, but this is the next, like, this is the last step. Oh no, we've lost her. <laughs> I mean, the irony is that I know Dave Asprey, the founder of Bulletproof Coffee, and he and I, it's really weird because like, on certain things, we get really get along. But in other areas, like I'm like, look, this doesn't make sense to me from a health perspective. All the data indicates the other direction. And he's always, he, he he's a tech guy. I'm a biotech guy. And so we're, we're just a little different. But I care about it from a, a science perspective. And I yeah. have done some, some actual biohacking, like body hacking. So I've taken like uh, metformin, which is a diabetes drug. I've actually taken an anti-senescent drug in the past to try and uh, kill what's called senescent cells, so like old cells. So let's look at the pet food industry or specifically what problems we have in this area. So what is the red stuff, the harmful, the risky, the ugly stuff that's going on there? There was uh, a professor at UCLA who actually looked at the environmental impact of pet food in the U.S., specifically in the U.S., but this applies you know, throughout Europe and actually increasingly in India and China as well, which are huge consumers uh, of pet food as well and increasingly large consumers. I think China will overtake in the next year or two, China will overtake uh, the U.S. in terms of number of pet dogs. Professor Oaken found that 25 to 30 percent of the environment, environmental impact of meat is our pet food. You know, that, that's like a mind-blowing statistic, right? So about 30% of the meat we consume in the U.S., and this is similar across the world in different countries, goes to our pets. 25 to 30% of the factory farms in the U.S. are making meat for our animals. So we're basically running 25 to 30% of the pollution of the factory farms, of the risk that we're taking with uh, zoonotic diseases, is because... We are growing animals to feed to our animals. And in the case of cats, obviously, you know, we've got a, a huge overfishing problem in the oceans, um, which is ca causing a lot of devastation there as well. You know, it's, they're not eating sirloin steak. They're eating kibble, right? The vast majority of dogs and cats eat kibble, which for those that are not familiar with what kibble is, it's basically just the, the pre-cooked little, little food balls that they eat. And so really the protein source doesn't really matter as long as it's high quality, clean protein. And so I was like, I'm going to leave this very successful accelerator and I'm going to start a company that's really focused on making better, more sustainable, clean products for pets. It was much more than just making a vegan, a vegan pet food company. It was how do we make 21st century pet food that really thinks both about sustainability, reducing the environmental impact, but then really focused on health as well of, of the pets and the animals. In another interview, I heard you mention the four Ds, the dead, diseased, dying, or disabled. And yeah. Are these four types of animals used in pet food? Mm -hmm. So what a lot of people don't realize, there are still animals that are not food grade, that they're not allowed to go into human, the human food system, um, that are allowed to go into the pet food food system. If a cow dies in the field of an unknown cause, or you have a very sick pig or a very sick chicken, I mean, it's possible the chicken might've had avian flu and died, right? It's possible the, you know, the cow might've had some very serious illness, you know, cancer or something and died in the field. If it died of an unknown cause, you can't feed that to humans, but you can mm -hmm. feed it to our pets. 
this was totally shocking to me that we allowed the feeding of diseased animals to our pets. You know, the more I started to look into it, I was like, wait a minute, what is going on? There was, there was a massive recall, I think it was in 2018, of like 100 million units of, of pet food because it had high levels of euthanasia drug. So euthanasia drug is a toxic drug that's actually used to, to put down animals. So the animals mm-hmm. in, in shelters or horses, they inject them and they kill them that way. These euthanasia drugs were being found in pet food, and they were making dogs both sick and in some cases killing them. And there was a huge recall across the U.S. And I was like, how, how is that even possible? And other than a recall, very little impact seemed to have happened. I realized the pet food industry is really entirely rotten, right, to its core. And it, it comes from its protein source, right? It's not like Mars or Nestle want to make bad products. It's that the protein sources they use are very bad protein sources. So that just gave me the inspiration to really start making something entirely different, entirely new, which was focusing on uh, a plant-based, high-protein dog food to really begin transforming the pet food industry. And so that was, that was nearly three years ago that, that I kind of started off in that journey. So let's look at the, the green part, the future that is healthy, that's wholesome, that's sustainable. So on the one hand, you have this plant-based dog food. We can quickly talk about that and then we can look into your uh, cell-based alternatives. With the dog food, I was surprised to really find out that actually some dogs can uh, live a completely vegan diet. Is that true? Yeah, yeah. So dogs are omnivores. There's common misconception, by the way, that they are carnivores. They really are not. Cats are what's called obligate carnivores. That just means they need different types of nutrition. Dogs are, are omnivores, very similar to us. And that w- that was kind of the starting point for designing a plant-based food. The catch is vegan is an ideology, right? It is a way of thinking. Mm-hmm. My dog, honestly, if I'm walking her in the street, she is plant-based. But if she sees a chicken bone, she'll probably pick up the chicken bone and try and eat it, right? Like, I mean, this is just dogs are dogs. And so they, they are actually omnivores. And so I wanted to create a product that was uniquely suited to, to dogs and really focused on health and sustainability. And so we designed a product that has the proteins, that clean proteins that the dogs require, the, the 10 essential amino acids that dogs require, but at the same time also has some additional aspects to it that, that really is focused on 21st century nutrition. Not just, hey, it's plant-based, but hey, it, it's the best dog food you can get for your dog. What's interesting is, you know, we, we'd seen some anecdotal data around plant-based dogs, that plant-based dogs seem to appear to like live longer, they appear mm-hmm. to, ha- to, to be healthier than dogs raised on a con- conventional uh, meat-based kibble diet, animal-based protein diet. I had some suspicions around that from a from a biotechnology perspective, from a medical perspective. But what we did was we were like, okay, so let's say that there is an intrinsic health benefit for a dog being plant-based. Let's say that all you're doing is removing the potentially the euthanasia drug, the diseased animals that are in there, and the plastic. Mm-hmm. It turns out that there there's in the meat, there's actually like plastic mixed in for a whole host of reasons. But we know that eating melted plastic is carcinogenic. If you mm-hmm. eat a bunch of plastic, that increases your risk of getting cancer, right? And I'm sure many of the listeners are probably listening to this going, wait a minute, I've had a dog and my dog had cancer. Mm -hmm. It's like, yeah, if your dog's been eating a lot of conventional meat-based kibble and it's been high in plastic, that may be a possibility. Like they may have gotten an increased risk of getting cancer from literally eating their food. Secondly, if we make 
a dog food that's focused on really high quality nutrition, right? So high quality nutrition that is focused on not just feeding the animal the base needs, but going beyond that. Let's add some prebiotics. Let's add some additional omega-3s and 6s, right? Which we know are, are important for a whole host of reasons around, you know, you, you, essentially your organs functioning correctly. So we started to add higher and higher levels of nutrition that go far beyond most, I would say, any of the existing kibble in terms of how they're designed, right? You know, as, as you and I talked about very briefly, Marina, like there's still an epidemic of obesity in pets. Like 50% of dogs are obese, a little less than that in terms of cats mm. in most Western markets. And so we have to focus on actual health, health first, and then sustainability second. Luckily, you can have both. You can have really healthy dog food and really sustainable. And that's really what we're, what we're doing at Wild Earth. Yeah, better for the planet and better for the pets. I love yes. it. <laughs> yes. On your website, everybody who's interested can check it out. There's a video of you eating the dog food. Now, I'm seriously interested. What does it taste like? Like, describe it to me. Does it taste like meat? What, what is it like to eat the plant-based dog food? So, you know, all the way through the development of Wild Earth, the first volunteer for Wild Earth testing it was me. It's the, that old saying, you've got to eat your own dog food, right? Because I think that whatever product you make, you should always be willing to test it on yourself. But the important thing was like with the, with the food testing, I didn't know how much I would have to eat for the commercial. So we're like, okay, this is a fun idea. Let's show people how clean and how healthy it is that, you know, I'm willing to eat a whole bunch of wild earth because I know it's clean and it's healthy. And what I didn't realize is how many takes we would do for that oh commercial. My God. So I equivalent, I think it was like the equivalent of six days of dog food because I kept, no. I kept, you know, I, they kept having to redo the takes. And so I was like, wait, I've just stuffed, I've just stuffed like three mouthfuls of dog food. It's like, well, keep eating. So I would, I would, I would like drink a bunch of water and it, it helped me understand why dogs, you know, after they eat, they drink so much water. It's because it's pretty dry. And so, so I was, I was just eating, eating nonstop, eating that dog food. And so it tasted It tasted like a savory cracker, almost like a, when I used to eat Cheez-Its, it tasted like a, like kind of like a cheesy cracker. It had that umami savory taste to it. It was, it was a very subtle taste. Dogs have an ability to taste at a much deeper level and smell at a much deeper level than we do. A lot of our pet parents, they actually do eat the dog food. So, so they, they, <laughs> they, they, they see me eating it. And so we've had on social media, we've had so many people kind of go, oh, you know, I saw that commercial of Ryan eating Ryan eating the dog food. So I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna try it too. And then they're, you know, it's the funniest thing. They're doing like a taste review while their dog's eating the dog food in the background. And it's the funniest thing. They're like, yeah, I had some and it was okay. It was kind of crunchy. It was kind of savory. You know, it's like, it's kind of like this very funny, like, I don't think any other dog food on the planet, people are doing like taste reviews while their dog's eating the dog food in the background. So, uh, such a, such yeah. great marketing. Let's look at the future, the exciting things that you have lined up. So mm -hmm. how far are you in terms of progress on the cell-based meat side? And when you're thinking about cat products, what options are you considering? Because I, as far as I understood, you're not just looking into cell-based, but also potentially mm -hmm. other options. Yeah, I mean, we, we basically already have a prototype for the cat, for the cat kind of 
plant-based slash recombinant product. Things are going very well with the dog food. And so we really want to scale it. We haven't forgotten our cat parents. We we have many cat parents. I've actually had cats on and off throughout my life. Love cats, but we actually have a lot of cat parents. So often many, many people at Wild Earth just love animals. They'll have like a dog or two and they'll have a cat or two. You know, usually they'll have like one dog and two cats or like two dogs and one cat. Like it's kind of a mix at Wild Earth. And so, you know, everyone within Wild Earth as well is waiting for our cat food. We have the, the first prototype. We've kind of developed that. We want to make sure that when we roll something out for cats, it's really well-researched um, and developed product. We want to make sure that the cats love the cat food like they do with, do- with Wild Earth dog food. I mean, when we were testing Wild Earth dog food, we were able to develop it to the point where 90 plus percent, 90 plus percent of dogs will eat the dog food, even picky dogs. That took a lot of time to get it right, to get the flavor just right for as many dogs as possible. We're going to do the same thing for cats, but cats are more picky. I'm sure, you know, as, as a cat mom, you yeah. know that cats are very picky, you know, oh and God. so, <laughs> so it's, it's pickier with cats. So we don't think we're going to be able to get to, you know, 90 plus percent of cats loving the food immediately, but we're going to try and get as close as we can to the majority of cats loving our cat food. And that's going to take a lot of time to get the right flavors for cats. And so I would say that probably not 2020, but I would definitely keep your eyes open for 2021 for new product for cats. Mm -hmm. And are you actively working on the cell-based option? Yeah, we did the mouse meat. So we were really the first to to kind of make the mouse meat for cats in the category. I know some some other startups have been inspired by some of the work that we've done one of the feedbacks that we had around the the mouse meat for cats is that there was a misconception. So some people thought that we were like killing mice and putting them into cans. We weren't doing that. Mm-hmm. We were working mm-hmm. with commercially available cell lines to see if this was feasible. And so the feedback that we had is there was a lot of confusion. About 50% of the cat moms that we talked to and cat dads that we talked to basically said, you know, yeah, it's cool. We like it. It's kind of fun. 50% were like, oh, yuck. I don't want mouse meat for my cat. And so what we've decided to do is really focus on uh, cell-based meats, basically standard cell-based meats, right? So the salmons, the chickens, the things that, that cats typically eat. We haven't locked it in fully, but we're talking with, I would say, one of the leading cell-based meat companies about a partnership in that space. They do it very, very well. So rather than kind of reinventing the things that they've already solved, we're just mm-hmm. looking at partnerships on, yeah. on that end. And so we'll still have to do a lot of product development to bring that product out, but it's likely to be a collaboration. And I think going forward <clears throat> into 2020, 2021, you'll probably see a lot more collaborations coming from Wild Earth. So we really want to collaborate with as many partners that care about healthy, sustainable products. And so we, we're, we're in the process of beginning our first couple of collaborations as we speak. Nice. And would you say there is any difference between creating cultivated meat for humans versus creating it for pets? Is it in any way easier to create it for pets because they may be like less picky than humans? For, for sure. For humans, even a hamburger or a hot dog has to have, you know, the right ratio of fats and the right ratio of protein to get the right flavor and the aroma. I, I think that with, with dogs and cats, it's a little different, right? Because, you know, if, if you're talking about a kibble, it is a protein source. And so I think mm-hmm. that there's a pretty significant difference in terms of flavor. The only thing that matters is, will the dogs or the cats eat the dog or the cat food? Whereas for humans, flavor, aroma, texture, it, it is more complicated for, for humans. And so the only catch is that the, the price point is lower mm-hmm. for pet food. 
And so it's a little bit of a balance. So what I think will probably happen is we'll see the first early releases of clean meat or cell-based meat for humans. And then shortly afterwards, we'll probably see the first applications and the first releases for, for pets. So we actually wrote a, a book. So myself, Dr. Ernie Ward, our chief veterinarian, who's actually been, he's been a champion for animals and for sustainability and also for pet obesity. And then Alice Oven, who, who's an author from the UK, we wrote a book called the, the Clean Protein Revolution, Pet Food Revolution. And so the main aim there is to really try and just talk about the alternatives that, that are out there from plant-based to recombinant to cell-based and how that's going to really transform the pet food industry as mm-hmm. a whole. This is a huge industry globally. It's currently globally a $90 billion industry. And, and particularly because of the growth that's happening in India and China, it's going to become a $120 billion industry. There's so much wrong with the pet food industry, so many broken things about it, that for those of us that particularly that care about animals and sustainability, we have to do something about it. So that's become you know, my personal mission to make sure that we transform the industry. It's much more than just Wild Earth. You know, I, want, I want Mars, Nestle, General Mills, you know, the, the owners of Pedigree, Purina, Blue Buffalo, Origin, Akana, Royal Canin, I want them too to come out with healthier, more sustainable plant-based products for animals, of dogs and cats. And so we're hoping not only to lead the industry for change, but we're hoping they change too. So we think that the only way we transform this enormous industry is together. Yeah, totally. Hopefully you will be like the Tesla that kicks the others in the industry in the butt. So they hopefully, finally start hopefully. moving. <laughs> hopefully we kick them really hard in the butt and then they, yes. you know, and then they change and then they change. <laughs> and, and that's really, you know, that's, that's the point, right? Like we're focused on impact and, and that, and, and we think that we'll, it literally has to be an entire industry that has to change. And so we just hope to lead the industry in that change. Yeah. I mean, talking about industry, you've had experience both in the food industry and now in the pet food industry. Mm-hmm. And interestingly, when you changed uh, the industries and you told people that you're going to start a company in pet food, a lot of them were skeptical. Uh, like I remember mm-hmm. you saying, well, they were like, if you do something in human food, then we're going to help you and we're going to invest. But like pet food, that's like, nah, that's not a thing. Why do you think was the reaction so different? I, I think it's it's very interesting. For many people that that are trying to, to, to transform industries or to create change, it's very hard for some people sometimes to see to see the change that you see in your mind's eye. Right. So, you know, when we started IndieBio, it was a similar kind of thing. I, I pitched the, the concept behind IndieBio to a bunch of uh, investors and most of them were like, I love the idea, but, you know, can you get rid of the lab or it costs too much? Or, you know, really, will you get transformational change if you invest in, you know, future food and biotechnology companies? Will you really see this type of outcome? And in my mind's eye, I could see so clearly all of these new industries that would be created, entirely new industries that would create multi-billion dollar companies that would be transformative for human health, for planetary health, for all sorts of reasons. So it was a similar kind of thing for, for pet food. Like I could see so clearly, I was like, this entire industry is broken. It's, it, it must have been like when Elon Musk looked at the, at the automobile industry, I know you mentioned you know, Tesla before, I, I wonder. And when he looked at the space industry, I mean, if you think about these yeah. industries, people had given up hope. You know, w- literally the NASA had stopped launching rockets because we couldn't figure out how to get how to get NASA astronauts into space and mm. just give it up. And, and so it was literally like, hey, this industry is so broken, there's no point in trying to fix it because no one can. 
And so I think that's kind of where we were with the pet food industry. People looked at the pet food industry. They were like, look, it's dominated by these huge companies. 80% of like pet food is owned basically by the same companies that own the human food system, right? So Mars, Nestle, General Mills, like the companies you've heard of a million times, they basically also own the pet food industry, even though they have separate brands and Mm. it's all the same, right? It's a different brand on the outside, but essentially it's the same thing that's in the bag. A little more protein, a little less protein with carbs, without carbs, but it's basically the same thing. I think people looked at this industry and they're like, this industry will not change. Things will not change. When I looked at the pet food industry, I was like, the same resistance that I've seen multiple times. And, you know, I was involved in obviously changing a lot of the things in the human uh, food industry. It felt like the same discussions that I had there. It was like, oh, that'll never work. No, no cell-based meat, that's science fiction. It's not real. Oh, plant-based, that's just a fringe thing. It's just mm-hmm. for the vegans. That'll never catch on. And, and I remember all those conversations. And when I started to have conversations with people about backing us in our mission of Wild Earth to transform pet food, it, it felt the same, like the same kind of conversation. It felt like everyone was telling me, no, it wouldn't work. And I was like, yes, it will work. People who have pets, people like pet parents, they care deeply about their animals. They care deeply about the health of their animals. It, it was kind of like, I realized that I was talking to people that didn't understand how much people cared about their animals and the health of their pets. And they also cared about sustainability and doing the right thing for the planet and everything else. But first and foremost was the health of the pets. And so I was like, if I focused on that, Maybe I could create a company that really transformed this industry, the pet food industry. And, you know, yeah, there was a lot of people that didn't believe. And I think now, you know, fast forward three years, we have a whole host of companies. Honestly, my my proudest achievement so far was a, a press release that came out. I think it was from the UK, from Mars, basically saying they're looking at making a plant-based pet food product, which is, you know, super exciting because it means... Even the huge, large industries, food companies are now thinking about, okay, we're moving into a more sustainable path, a healthier path for our pets. How do, how do we get involved in creating that change? And so, you know, I view it as a success already. I hope that Wild Earth continues to really thrive and scale, but I feel that we've already started to make a positive impact in the pet food industry and we're transforming the industry as we speak. Yeah, totally. I'm definitely rooting for you. I'm wishing you a big, big success that you're going to continue having a beautiful impact just as you have right now. And moving on to one of the ending questions. If you would have 50 million, in what businesses would you invest it in if you can't obviously invest it in beautiful wild earth or um, ventures that you're already involved in? So this one's a bit of a tricky one. I, I, I tend to put my money where my mouth is, um, but I, I'm happy to talk about where I would place 50 million uh, because I think that's a really interesting question. I personally have been involved in investing either my personal money or the venture capital funds that I've been involved with uh, over 100 companies. I think it's like 110, 120 companies total. Uh, so it's a lot of companies primarily focused on future food and, and biotechnology. So human therapeutics and, and things like that. If I created a $50 million fund today, there are several areas I would focus on. One would be biomaterials. So making more sustainable materials, ending leather, ending plastics, right? Let's bioengineer some alternative plastics. Let's bioengineer better leathers. Let's bioengineer spider silk that's 10 times stronger than steel. Let's make new materials, like materials that have exciting new properties that we have yet to explore. So it's basically sustainable and better materials. Mm -hmm. I would invest there. I would invest in more clean meat. I think we're just at the beginning of cell-based and, and clean meat type products. I would take it a step further. I actually think there are going to be breakthroughs that happen in the cell-based meat world 
that will actually lead to breakthroughs in actually human health. So mm-hmm. we are animals too. And so once we can grow a steak or a pork chop, we can regrow a heart or a liver or lungs and we can start to help humans as well. And so so I think these are all connected because I come from the realm of biotechnology. For me, we are all one. Everything is one on this planet. Anything that biology can make, we can make. And so I think that you know, over the next decade to 50 years, basically, for the rest of our lives, I think that biology is going to transform everything about human existence on this planet and most likely human existence off world as well, right? So I think that, you know, the astronauts that go to Mars, they're not taking cows and pigs and chickens into space and to Mars. They're going to mm-hmm. take highly efficient ways of transforming uh, photonic energy, sunlight, and turn that into high-quality protein um, and carbohydrates and, and manufacturing capabilities. I think when we look at like the future of humanity here on this planet, very importantly here on this planet, but across the solar system as well, it's, it's going to be biology. Biology is going to drive it and biotechnology is going to drive all of it. I think that for many of your listeners that are probably listening right now who are maybe thinking about sustainability, maybe thinking about food, think broader, think bigger. Like this is the era of biology in the same way that software and computers transformed us the last couple of decades. Biology is going to transform our future the next few decades. So there is an infinite number of products and services that can be just better overall. That, that are out there in the future that are waiting to be invented or that, you know, the companies are waiting to be started. So, so I'd inspire your listeners to really look at biology as the future of, of everything. Well, you definitely inspired me. <laughs> and uh, thank you, Ryan, for that wonderful interview. Thank you. Thank you, Marina. And, and just for your listeners, you can check us out, wildearth.com. You can order a bag of dog food for your furry friends. Yes, uh, check out the links in the show notes to Ryan's LinkedIn, Wild Earth, and also his book. Okay, perfect. Thank you, Marina. In the next episode, you will hear about Solar Foods, a company making protein from CO2. It's pretty cool. If you would like to stay in the loop, add me on LinkedIn. You find my profile and further details in the show notes or type into the magic search box Google Red to Green Marina Schmidt. Until next time, let's move from harmful to healthy, from polluting to sustainable, from red to green. <laughs>